Welcome to another Abiding Thought. Today I want to read from Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through uh, 20, uh, 28. Um, or actually, 20, yeah, 25 through 28. And behold, a young a lawyer stood up uh, to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Now, most of you who are familiar with uh the Gospel of Luke, you'll know that this is the preamble that leads into Jesus giving that great uh, parable of the Good Samaritan. But I don't want to focus on the Samaritan. I want to focus on the question that's raised by the rich young, or excuse me, by the lawyer. The lawyer in tempting Jesus, he's trying to trip him up in portions of the law. And by the way, when we read in the New Testament of lawyers, it's, we, don't, we don't mean the same sort of like a defense attorney. The lawyers that are alluded to in the New Testament are those who were specialists in the Hebrew law. So it was, it was more theological and religious than it was legal. And that was because in Old Testament Israel, uh, the law of God or the law of the land was parallel to the word of God because it was a theocracy. In any event, um, this lawyer, they were, the Pharisees were continuously trying to get Jesus to stumble or misrepresent or twist the scriptures so they could bring accusations against him. So he comes to Jesus, a familiar question that uh, that's brought to Jesus on more than one occasion throughout the course of his earthly ministry, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Now, at the crux of this is the misconception of the Pharisees that they were righteous enough, according to the standards of the law, to actually gain eternal life. So one of the reasons this question keeps resurfacing through uh, as they encounter Jesus is because they were trying to twist Jesus' words to make it seem as if he's lowering the way in which man can be justified before God by somehow saying that we don't gain eternal life through the keeping of the law. When in fact, what Jesus was actually doing with this teaching was showing those who thought themselves to be righteous that they had not actually kept the standard of the law. We should remember that even in the uh, preamble to the uh, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, I have not come to overthrow the law, but I have come to fulfill it. And so therefore, um, that's the basis of the question. The rich uh, or the, the lawyer comes to Jesus as uh, many of the uh, that represented the voice of the Pharisees were prone to do. They come to Jesus trying to find a fine point uh, of, of disagreement between his teachings and the law of God or to get him to say point blank that you cannot earn eternal life through keeping the law which is not what he was saying he was simply saying you can't keep the law in order to 
and, and, or you can't keep the, the law to the degree that you think you can, therefore you have not earned eternal life by keeping the law. So here's the essence of the question that he brings him. What is the greatest, or what, what law must we keep in essence in order to e in inherit eternal life? And so Jesus summarizes what we call the first table of the law. And the first table of the law is really, if we look at the Ten Commandments, the commandments that deal with our responsibilities towards God in terms of honoring him, uh, keeping, uh, not worshiping anything or anyone above him. So that's the first table of the law, our direct obligations to God, our direct obligations to God to honor him and to, to glorify him. Uh, the second table of the law has to do with our obligations to others. Now, what Jesus shows elsewhere in his teachings is that in order, if you are keeping the first table, then that's what guides you towards the second table. The second table of the law, because he makes, he makes it clear that there is no distinction. When you are loving your neighbor, then you are loving God. And if you love God, you will love your neighbor, vice versa. In any of it, here's what, here's what Jesus says. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind. He says that's the first table of the law. And then he says, here's what you also must do. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, it's at this point that the lawyer, knowing the essence of what Jesus is saying, knowing the spirit of that law, raises a question that I think we need to continue to raise because basically with the Pharisees, they shrunk the idea of who their neighbor was because they knew that, and we see this, once again with Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, when he says, you have heard it says, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. And interestingly enough, in most of the other portions of his, his exposition of the law or correcting the Pharisaical twisting of the law, when Jesus says, you have heard it said, he's actually referring to portions of the law, even as they were misrepresented by the Pharisees at that time, but still it was grounded in the law. And then he shows them, he says, but I say, and then he gives a correction or gives the spirit of the law and a correction to what had been distorted. But when it comes to, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus doesn't, he's not, he's not quoting something that is grounded in the Old Testament. Love your neighbor is, hate your enemy is not. But the reason it, what, what, uh, the reason Jesus cites it is because in the, the Pharisaical schools, they had such a shrunken notion of neighbor that they allowed others that otherwise would have been identified according to the Mosaic law, neighbors, they are now considered enemies. And so Jesus says, no, but here's what I say. Love your neighbor and love your enemy as well. And so what, what, what the Pharisees um, somehow had a reduced understanding of neighbor so that it was easy for them to treat their enemies with contempt. And that's what's reflected in the rich young, or I keep saying rich young ruler, 
But that's what's reflected in the lawyer's question here. Who is my neighbor? And what's grounded into that, what's baked into that, is let me know who my neighbor is because anyone else, I don't have that same obligation. What's known as the golden rule, mentioned in Luke chapter 6 and then also Matthew chapter 7. Treat others as you want to be treated is, is the, the bottom line to it. Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. That's what is known as the golden rule. And that's really the spirit of, this, of that second table of the law, to love your neighbor as yourselves. And here's the reason I bring this up. Because very much like the Pharisees in Jesus' day, there's a tremendous effort to narrow the scope of who my, enemy, my neighbor is. And the reason for this intentional narrowing of neighbor is because if a person is beyond the purview of neighbor, then there is no obligation towards them. When in fact, the scriptures teach that everyone who is human, every image bearer of God, in a very real sense, is our neighbor. And that's why what follows is Jesus gives the story of the Good Samaritan and he gives an, as extreme an example as possible to demonstrate who one's neighbor is. Because he chose a Samaritan that was despised by the Jewish community um, for historic reasons out of the Old Testament. But the bottom line is that Jesus puts puts this person on the path of someone who has been overtaken by by you know by by robbers and all of the good religious people all of the Jews passed over this person who was their neighbor but but because he was in danger they they neglected to care for him so what Jesus does in this, the parable of the good samaritan the whole point of it is to show that this Samaritan who is despised by all of you has proven to be more consistent with understanding the word of God and the obligation to neighbor. Who is my neighbor? And the reason that's important is because of the great obligation of love that we have towards our neighbor. Now let me just kind of rain it all in with this. It's important for us to not allow our echo chambers, our sphere of influences, our circle of friends, our news sources, our social media feed to define for us who our neighbor is. We have fallen into the trap of allowing fellow image bearers of God to be reduced to political terms and categories, social, cultural categories, everything but our neighbor. We have allowed them to, we have, we have allowed ourselves to be goaded into thinking that because my neighbor is of a different religion or even a sinful sexual orientation, 
that somehow they are not my neighbor. And if they are not my neighbor, then I am not obligated to love them as myself. But everyone who is an image bearer of God is your neighbor. And the obligation to love our neighbor is evidence and a continuation of our love of God. Who is my neighbor? Everyone, whether we agree with them or not, whether we personally would invite them to dinner or not, everyone who is an image bearer of God is your neighbor. And brothers and sisters, we must, if we don't expect it from the unbelieving world, we don't expect those who are not indwelt by the Spirit of God to think and act in those terms. But I appeal to you that if you call on the name of Jesus, don't let your neighbor be reduced to a label. Don't let them be reduced to their gender or their sexuality or their ethnicity or their place of origin. Look at them first and foremost as your neighbor because like you, they bear the image of the creator. And our obligation is to love our neighbor. Not as, as, as this group says we are to love them, but love our neighbors as ourselves. That means we are to answer the question that was raised by uh, Cain in the book of Genesis when he was really, when he killed his brother and the Lord asked him, where's your brother? And he answered, am I my brother's keeper? And the inherent answer to that is yes. In the same way that we are our brother's keepers, those who are connected to us in other ways, we are also our neighbor's keepers. And therefore, our neighbor is everyone who bears the image of God and our obligation to them does not change because of the changing climate and the changing politics of our day. Who is my neighbor? Everyone. And therefore, even our enemies are our neighbors. And we owe them the love that God has required in his holy law. We are not saved by doing that. But it's only by being saved that we will understand that obligation and continue to walk in that direction. Look forward to joining you again soon.